Well, thank you, thank you, thank you. You're far too kind for tuning in once again to the Ball on Blast podcast. As always, unpolished and unapologetic. I'm Sheldon Alexander, and I'm here with my guy, Andrew Webster. Webby, what's good, man? Well, not only am I just up to my eyeballs in NBA basketball, but now that the tournament's about to start, I'm up to my eyeballs in college ball as well. I'm trying to get my last-minute studying going on before I submit my brackets for March Madness. But I got some I got some good picks. We'll wait till the end, Shelly, but I've got some insight. For sure. Of course, March Madness takes over across the airwaves normally. But, I mean, you're Toronto Raptors, Webby. Wow. Once again, the lead, just, just doing mega work. And we'll start once again with our wrap it up segment here. And what a week it was for the Toronto Raptors. Right now, their winning streak is at nine games. But, of course, after DeMar just destroyed Detroit, he then follows that up with an MVP-type performance, I, I'll say, against your Houston Rockets, just ending there, snapping their, what, 17-game winning streak it was? I that was a crazy, crazy yeah. game. But you know what, man? Well, like like everything with this Raptors team this year, listen, DeMar played great, but you know what? Everybody played great. Everybody True. showed up, and the style that they've been implementing this season, this kind of... Uh, you know, long bench and getting input and getting production out of everybody up and down their roster, like, it worked to a T against, uh, you know, what was the best team in the league at the moment. That is amazing. I mean, just the way that the game flowed, too. Like, the thing that stuck out to me the most was just Kyle Lowry was just so aggressive early, and they needed that, right? Like, those big-time games is when, as much as you rely on your bench and you need your bench every every single game, especially when you're the Raptors, it's games like that where you know that you need your stars to come out and set the tone. You need your vets to come out and set the tone. And Kyle Lowry did that early, knocking down a bunch of early threes. They played a lot of solid defense. Lowry came out and, and was that guy that they decided to pay 30 mil a year for the next three years, right? Like that, to me, was a big key early. And the big start, I mean, we saw it at the end, but that big start was so important because you just knew that the Rockets weren't going to go away quietly. It didn't mm -hmm. matter if it was a 30-point lead, a 25-point lead, whatever. You knew that the Rockets were going to have some life in that second half. So getting off to that fast start was so important, and it's great to have Kyle like playing out of his mind in the first two quarters. Just, I what was he at, like, Close to 20 points at a half? It was crazy. I think he knocked down like five or six threes early. Like it was just disgusting. He was shooting it with no hesitation. Raptors just, again, Harden got his. Harden got to 40, but a lot of that damage was done late. And by then, I mean, Harden did all he could to try to bring them back and win the game. And he damn near almost did it. But the, what the Raptors did collectively as a team, and I want to take a second to give a shout out to Dwayne Casey because we've been we've been on the Casey bandwagon here on Ball on Blast, giving Casey and his staff a lot of credit throughout this season for how they've been able to implement this offense and what they've been able to do with this team with the bunch of kids really as well. When you look at what their bench is doing and the production they're getting there, but when we focus in on this game specifically, Webby. I was so surprised while I was listening to the broadcast and they kept talking about how how well Houston was using dribble penetration and how the Raptors needed to stop the dribble penetration because right, right. Houston was getting to the bucket so and early what, and I was like that's what I was Houston does too. That's what Houston does. Like it's about sure. getting to the line and shooting the threes. Right? But I was I was just so surprised that, you know, the focus was so much on oh, they're getting dribbled penetration, when in fact, I feel like it was kind of the game plan, right? I tweeted out after the game, right? Great defensive game plan by the Raptors tonight. Uh, run the Rockets off the line, force them into taking twos instead of threes, and reverse the mat that often runs most teams off the floor. By the time Houston started making threes, the Raptors were up big. Well played by Casey and his staff. And you could see it for the entire game. Like, I think that the, the Rockets getting all those layups were almost by design. I think if you watch and paid attention, you could see that the Raptors were guarding the, the Rockets full court. Freddie Van Fleet was turning over Chris Paul a couple times, and they were really like locked in and guarding full court and really pressuring the Rockets from the three-point line, and they would rather give up the two 
than the three. Like, is that something that you notice as well, Webby? Well, yeah. I mean, like, here's the thing. Like I said, the Rockets are known for two things, getting to the line and shooting threes. So mm-hmm. if you're going to pick your poison there, if you're going to pick your poison of what you'd rather give up, you'd rather give up the getting to the line. You'd rather give up the dribble drives, right? And, and if you can shut them down from beyond the arc for uh, a substantial amount of time, you're not going to do it the whole game. No team has figured out how to do it the whole game. But if you're yeah. able to limit that, aspect of their offense for a half, then you put yourself in a really good position to win. And I think that that's exactly what the Raptors plan was. Totally. Right. And I think it, it kind of, you know, cause obviously this shooting, this mass amount of threes is something fairly new in the NBA. Right. And you know, it's basically who the, the Warriors and the Rockets and the Rockets have kind of put that game plan on steroids this year. Right. And it made me look a little closer to the numbers. And when you really paid attention to what the Raptors did, it was kind of crazy because you look at it and the Rockets average 42 three point attempts per game, which is leads the NBA by a lot. The Raptors are third, but they have 32. So that's 10 more threes that the Rockets shoot per game. Okay. So again, starting there, Rockets average 42 three-pointers per game, or attempts per game, that is, and they attempted just 27 against the Raptors. If you really look at the end of the game, some of those 27, those were just, you know, Chris Paul had a desperation three, uh, Harden had a desperation three at the end. They definitely did turn on that three-point shooting in the second half. That was something that they put more emphasis on in the third and fourth quarters to get them back in the game. Because, again, it takes so much defensive effort to shut down that part of an offense of any team that you're going to end up wearing out your guys. But the way that the Raptors work with their deep bench, that you've got way more energy, you know, you've got way more guys coming out who can defend on the perimeter like that. And, you know, listen again, like we say, the Rockets, like I was telling you that night, the Rockets are going to keep shooting three. Okay. Mm -hmm. They were like one for what? 10 in the first or one for 13 in the first half or something. Yeah, it was something like that. Yeah, they and, they they were pretty bad early for sure. And we knew they were going to keep shooting, but what's nice about what the Raptors have right now is that they can keep throwing guys out there at you at the perimeter and they have defenders on the bench. Exactly, right? And when you when and it's one of the benefits, right? Like I'm I'm guilty of it for sure in key, in terms of talking about how much, you know, you're going to shrink your bench going forward, but one of the benefits of having your bench obviously is you have no excuse but to go hard on defense, right? Especially if it's instituted that, hey, our game plan is we're going to play tight defense and play full court. You have a full bench, so you really have no excuse if you're Kyle Lowry. You have no excuse if you're Van Fleet or DeLon coming off the bench cuz you got to you got to guard up for the whole game. And the reason why that's so important, right? You got to look at the numbers because the weirdest thing ever, I never even thought this was possible before Webby, but I, I did a little deep dive into the numbers. And did you know the Rockets are shooting more threes? Like they've taken more three-point attempts this year than they've taken twos? Well, it doesn't surprise me. That's the craziest stat ever. That doesn't even make any sense. So, you know, like, so, I mean, if you see that and you're the Raptors staff, you're going to say, okay, well, Obviously, this is how they're used to playing. They're used to shooting as many threes and shooting threes whenever they want to. So we're going to try to disrupt that. And when you look at the numbers, okay, the Rockets have taken more threes this season than they have twos, right? Heading into tonight's game, they've taken 2,828 three-point attempts and just 2,802 two-point attempts. Like, that doesn't even make any sense at all. But not only are they shooting more threes and twos, they've attempted 400 more three-pointers and made 200 more three-pointers than the next best team in the NBA, which is the Brooklyn Nets in a weird twist. Yeah, but yeah. as you can see, like that's why that game plan that Casey and company put forth in terms of running them off the line, that's why it was so important because you're literally reversing the math that makes the Houston Rockets successful. And like, Again, we've been giving accolades and high praise to Casey and company the whole season, but this is just another another example of that, right, Webby, where we got to give some love to Casey. Right. Well, the, the the game plan was there for this Rockets team. I think it was last season, two seasons ago, when the Spurs. The Spurs. Yeah. yeah, when the Spurs had that mentality for that seven-game series of, mm-hmm. we'll let you take the long twos. Yeah, well, maybe, even on fast breaks, they'd even give up the layup or give up the dunk 
Right. Because they're, they want to guard the three-point line. And you're right, too, because that almost worked for OKC, Kevin Durant's last hurrah, right? When That's right. When the Thunder were playing against the Warriors. They did a lot of that, too, as well, where they would rather give up the two on the, on the fast break than give up the three and try to slow down the math that, you know, these teams running guys out of the gym by just bombing up threes for 48 minutes, right? It was such a good game, top to bottom. DeMar DeRozan just going toe-to-toe with James Harden, like – that was amazing Ooh, that as was well. A, Doing it on both ends of the floor, too. That was a great... I mean, just the, having that answer, because, I mean, listen, like we said, you knew that Harden was going to start to come alive from beyond the arc. He hits that big three, and then right down at the other end, DeMar. Like, we said that, hey, when you need it, like, you don't want to always have to rely on that iso ball, but if you need to go to it and you need a big shot like that, it's really nice to have DeMar there, isn't it? Like, what oh. a ballsy shot. He hit tough, tough shots, too, down the stretch. And we've been saying it, too, right? And and I beg people, I hope people are paying attention because we try to give you the goods here, right? And instead of focusing, you know, people get so caught up on the iso ball, but all of the league's best players do the exact same thing. Hopefully my best player is better than your best player. And can he create a play? And DeMar was just creating plays. He was hitting tough tough shots and if he misses those shots people are going to be upset and say oh it was iso ball but he hits them and people are like oh great shot damar good job lucky it went in but literally that's the nba when you watch when you watch uh, lebron or you watch you know james harden even the only difference is this season i think damar has done a much better job of elevating his game to the point where he doesn't have to necessarily take the tough shot yes he can and yes he will make it but he can also dime off that, right? right? Averaging right. what? A career high, like five assists per game? Absolutely. Tomorrow, but, but it's disgusting. What, but that's what I'm saying is like when going gets tough and you need that guy to take that shot, like like sometimes you, you need LeBron to take it down low and just put the team on his back. You need Harden to launch up that three and can it. You need Kyrie with the ball in his hand driving. And, hey, you yeah. know what? Sometimes you need DeMar DeRozan to take his man, get to the spot on the floor where he knows he can make the shot. Yeah, you, we were it's talking about, about – It's just about not relying on it, you know? And that's sure. what it seemed like the last couple of years, especially when it got to the playoffs, that they had to rely on that. And now yeah. now it seems like that that's just another one of their options. So true. And you talk about things that we need – I don't know how much we needed that much Drake on Drake night, but there was a lot of Drake on Drake night. But the thing that I found funny, I mean, aside from from him predicting that the Raptors would snap the Rockets winning streak was while he was on the broadcast and he was discussing the fact that they were joking around with them. Right. Talking about how, you know, maybe they have to thank him for the Cleveland win earlier on in the season because we know the Cavs were out partying at Drake's restaurant or whatever when they were here for a couple days earlier. And Drake made the joke that he actually saw James Harden in the hotel lobby drinking, I think he said like virgin martinis or something. Virgin daiquiris or something like that. Something like that, right? And it was so funny because it's like, you know they were tearing up Toronto with a couple days off in the city, right? Like you know the Rockets were out with Drake in the city, right? Like there's no doubt. All you had to do was watch the first half to know that the Rockets had a little bit of the Toronto flu, man. 100%. (laughs) Right? Like, again, for those who don't know, right, like, we we seem recently to have so much focus on what Americans talk about when they talk about the Toronto Raptors. Well, one thing's for sure, and one thing for sure that they do talk about is the nightlife in Toronto that visiting teams – uh, enjoy, let's say, enjoy when they come to this to the six. And a guy like James Harden, who, for those who don't know, just happens to have his jersey retired in a strip club in Houston. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go out on a limb and guess that if he's friends with Drake and he's here in Toronto for a couple days. He was having a good time. They're going to have a good time, right? Hey, why not? Regular season, big win for the Raptors, big confidence boost for Raptors. But again, it's just one game, one more one more game for, for you to be battle-tested in a close game down the stretch, right? Absolutely. And you know what? Don't take anything away from it. It was a great win. Uh, probably the best win this season, I'd say, for the Raptors. But Definitely. You know, what, you know what was so impressive, too? Was not losing the trap game the next, uh, the next time out against Brooklyn. 
especially with the oh, way the, that, the Knicks game. Yeah, yeah, the Knicks game. It was sorry, like Sunday the, morning. The, the Knicks game on the Sunday morning, exactly. That's yeah. a game that, that, that can come up and bite a team. Oh, yeah. Sunday morning, daylight savings time, a scrappy Knicks team because they suck and have nothing to play for. And they took Definitely. care of business. Oh, yeah. Like and then that, did it again in Brooklyn. Yeah, absolutely. A- after getting barraged by D'Angelo Russell in the first quarter, <laughs> they, they, they didn't let that get that that get them down, and they and they responded. The other thing the Raptors are doing a great job of not letting it get to them so far is all this media coverage they're getting in the States. And, you know, if you listen to this podcast, you will know that we've been big on, you know, don't be so focused or don't. Don't rely on the gratification that you might get from what the U.S. media is saying about you, right? Like, know that your team is good and, hey, listen to it. Take it for what it's worth, what they're saying down south. But don't take it as gospel because it's only just someone else's opinion, right? It's another expert's opinion or maybe it's Paul Pierce's opinion. But take it for what it is. What do you make of this whole, like, because it seemed like after the, especially after the Rockets win, that... I saw a lot of stories across Canadian media talking about Raptors finally getting respect down south. Like, what did you make of that narrative? I'm tired of it myself. I, it's like people have short memories, man. The the, the same storyline happened last year too. Yeah. And, and, and then the Raptors were the team that nobody's talking about, and then they started talking about them. <laughs> you know, it's just like people – it's like – we do this narrative every year with the Raptors, and it's like bitch and moan until they get a little bit of respect from the American media, and I, I don't understand it. Like, yeah, I guess it's just that inferiority complex that if ESPN isn't talking about you, then I, you're not worth a damn, but I don't know about that. And again, like like we say, though, right, it's not even like I don't think the Raptors fans are mad about the U.S. media, whether they talk about them or not. I think it's so much more about whether they agree with what the U.S. media is saying about them, right? Like, it's fine and dandy if everyone's saying, yeah, Raptors are good. But as soon as Paul Pierce is like, nah, I'm still not believing it because I've only seen them struggle in the playoffs. I've witnessed it first half. Then everyone hates on Paul Pierce. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) It's so funny. But an article that uh, I sent to you earlier this week that kind of made the rounds, which was a great article from Zach Lowe uh, of ESPN. And here's the thing, right? I think as – basketball fans in Canada, you're forced to search for your basketball coverage, right? You're forced to search for your, you know, your in-depth pieces and unbiased media, let's say, right? Because again, it's not a knock because I feel like you're forced to be biased if a lot of, if you're a partner of the team, right? Like you're, you're, there's just things that you're not going to talk about when you're a partner of the team. Right. So I understand why this stuff happens. And so that's why pieces like what Zach Lowe did this week I thought were so interesting. Did you get a chance to to read it or at least a couple excerpts yeah, of it, Yeah, Webby? I did. Yeah, I did. So it starts off, for those who haven't read it, and again, we're going to talk about it right now, but if you haven't taken it in, definitely bookmark that ish and, and get to it. But essentially really bookmark anything Zach Lowe writes. For sure. Zach Lowe is a great NBA mind. And the thing, too, of what he does is he'll break down with numbers. He'll talk about different basketball situations, but then he'll also have video evidence to back up like different spacing or different lineups and how these things work together. Right. Like it's a really interesting take that I don't really see many other people doing. Right. And I think that's what makes it so much important, so much more uh, interesting than a lot of other stuff that we'll read on day to day basis in the NBA and especially about the Raptors. But in this instance, he got his like serious journalism on here, right? Because he was talking about a lot of things I didn't know. Like he discussed about how the night after Kobe had his two jerseys retired in LA, Damar, who happens to be obviously a Kobe stan from Compton, right? Damar was getting his work in the next night, shooting his jumpers in the gym, right? All of a sudden, he sees all of the Raptors' top brass walking into Masai's office. They're huddled up for a meeting, and then soon after that, they call in Damar to join them. And he sits in for this meeting and he's kind of wondering, like, what are, what's going on? Like, what are they talking about? What do they want to talk to me about? Right. And this was the meeting where they sat down and explained to DeMar, hey, we really want you to start taking threes. And he'd been working on it in the offseason. Right. But this was kind of the like green light to like, no, no, no. Like, for real, we need you to start taking threes, because once you start just adding the threat of that to your game, it opens up so much more, not only for yourself, but for the rest of the team. And the funny thing about that is. After getting the green light, the next night in Charlotte, DeMar goes three for four. 
two nights later in Philly, he goes six of nine, right? So it's so crazy because we watch those games, but then to find out these little nuggets of how these things went down, like it's pretty cool, no? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But, I mean, no surprise in that the team was going to ask him to do something like that. I mean, it's what people have been clamoring for DeMar to add to his game for the last two, three years. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting that, you know, that was kind of uh, brought to him from on high, like you say, with the Raptors brass and not necessarily from the coaching staff. Yeah, which, which shows you, and I mean, uh, Masai Jiri for years, Masai and Dwayne Casey, actually, you know what? They've been preaching a program, right? And like, right. you know, like it's kind of like a group think, but all the way from the top down. And I feel like a lot of organizations want that. But I don't think a lot of of organizations are successful in no, that, only right? Having have. like a, a yeah group thing from the top down, and and so it's cool to see like just how the inner workings of the Raptors work behind the scenes, and even digging a little deeper in this, right? Like we see the success of that. Demar's jacking basically four three pointers per game now, right? Attempting four threes per game, which is something we never really thought was possible if you watched him earlier on in his career, but. The other interesting takeaway from this article, I thought, was we also way back when, I think it was in November, when uh, a writer for the New York Times did that story on Nick Nurse, who's a Raptors assistant coach who used to work with uh, the Houston Rockets D-League team. And just a little reminder for people who don't know what we're talking about, uh, when Nick Nurse was the coach of the D-League team with the Rockets, their whole game plan was basically what you see with the Houston Rockets now. They only wanted to shoot threes and layups. That was their whole game plan, and they instituted this first in the D-League and then brought it up to their main team, which is what you see now. But the coach at the time was Nick Nurse, who is now an assistant with the Raptors. So I'm just going to read a little, and this is funny because uh, Dan Levitard jokes about this all the time. He's like, we're just going to we're gonna switch gears a little and just do a little thing called Dan Reads. <laughs> right? <laughs> But here's a little thing here. Okay, Webby, follow me, right? So it says, it says, uh, Nurse started with the young guys. Pirtle, Pascal Siakam, Norman Powell, OG Ananobi, DeLon Wright, Fred Van Fleet at informal workouts in Los Angeles and then in Las Vegas for Summer League. They played pickup with new rules. Corner threes earned four points and any shot between the paint and the three-point arc counted as minus one. Nurse strongly encouraged anyone that grabbed an offensive rebound to dunk or kick the ball out to three-point shooter. Though he did not mandate it, as he did during his time with Houston's D-League lab, back then, he banned mid-range shots in practice. So in this instance, why this is so interesting is because the bench is what led the culture change with the Raptors, and the starters followed, right? So if players slipped into old habits, the coaches had the remedy. So starting this season, they mostly replaced individual player development with group work. Instead of shooting alone, three or four guys were her sequences that they would then execute in games. And the crazy part here, Webby, is doesn't that explain a lot? (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Yeah, well, absolutely. If you're going to build this culture reset, you do it from the ground up, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And not from the top down. So yeah. that's where you're seeing the success from this these young guys who are coming and playing the second unit, and now it becomes contagious, right? And because, exactly. And because you have that groundwork set with these guys, then now it becomes second nature. Now the other players, the kind of uh, old grizzled vets are seeing it and glamping onto it too, and then it permeates through the whole team. Yeah, it's so cool because anybody that watches the Raptors, right, when you see the bench comes in, comes in together the the best thing about them is you see it's all like they're they're all working on a string you know like they're right. all in unison with their movements and the the back cuts and the ball movement and so it makes total sense that you know we attributed a lot of that to the fact that these guys played in the d-league together right obviously that makes a lot of sense but but in this instance to quote Mr. Allen Iverson, we're actually talking about practice, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> and how big it was for these guys. And you make a good point, Webby. If you're Kyle Lowry and Demar watching how the bench operates, and you know a lot of times Demar or Kyle, one of them will be on the floor with the bench. You notice you're getting a lot of easy shots. That has to just breed into your mentality that oh, okay, this works. This makes sense. 
right? It's such a cool thing to watch how this season has played out. And I hope it continues to work. Like, I mean, the big question is, can they continue doing this into the playoffs? And, you know, so far the numbers say yes, no? Well, you know, you bring up a funny thing, right? Now, there's been several teams that have done this well with mm-hmm. a longer bench in the regular season. I mean, Atlanta from a couple of years comes comes to mind when they won like 60 games, you know? And yeah. They, they did it with everybody contributing from the whole team. And then they yeah. got into the playoffs where, you know, your possessions get longer, your bench gets shorter, and they were mm-hmm. having they had a really, really tough time um, evolving to that style of play. And listen, you can say all you want that, yeah, hey, no, this year is going to be different. This Raptors team is different. This mm-hmm. bench unit is different. But we're not going to know until we see it. Because all we've seen in the playoffs in terms of winning teams are teams that, you know, aren't necessarily 12 deep. It, it's interesting, right? And, like, just seeing how much things have changed from last year's regular season to this year's regular season, right? Like, the Raptors rank third in points per possession, jacking almost nine threes more per game than they did last season, right? So they're still shooting, you know, they're not shooting it at a great clip, but just the threat opens up so much more within your offense and teams have to guard you differently, right? They were also just the ball movement. They've assisted on 58% of its baskets up from a league low 47% last year, right? Which, as you said earlier, they're reliant so much on Kyle and DeMar to do everything and everyone else was just kind of standing around and watching, whereas now it's crisp passes and, you know, DeMar is scoring less, but I think he's getting easier baskets. Same oh, for Lowry, right? No, no doubt about it. But now the the big question is, when you get into a seven-game series, and like I say, the possessions get longer, are you going to mm-hmm. see these G League guys come in and make a difference like you are right now? Or are you going to have to get more than what you're already getting out of guys like Siakam and Pirtle for a longer sustained time on the court? Yeah, to me, that's the interesting thing, too, right? Because I, I feel at this point, we kind of know what we'll get from the bench. We know they're they're going to go hard and play hard. And whether that works or, you know, I still think on some level, I'm worried about if DeMar and Kyle will continue this through, like, continue their play within the system as we get into the playoffs and when things get tight in the playoffs, right? Because there are quotes in here, too, from Nick Nurse saying how, you know, Rosen was was diligent, but it wasn't easy at first. Lowry verbalized his frustrations earlier on in the season, and there was a little resistance at times, to be honest. Even still, Kyle has these moments when he's kicking out passes and guys are missing and he's getting pissed. Right? So right. we know Kyle in that that what North Philly attitude, you know, That's like right. That's right. He, he might screw face the dude if he misses too many threes, but can these guys stick to this game plan? going forward and into the playoffs, that's what I really want to see. See, that's, but, a, that's a great question. You know, when the going gets tough now, do those two revert to the old ways? Because mm-hmm. that's what got them success in the playoffs. Or do they fully trust what the brass, what the coaching staff wants them to do in mm-hmm. terms of, you know, sharing the ball, like kicking out to the corner threes, the Spurs... Warriors Rockets way of playing you know yeah and they reconcile that with how they're going to play in the playoffs or are they going to have that narrow mindset of well listen it's the playoffs I've got to do what I've got to do I got to play DeMar ball or I got to play Lowry ball yeah I mean it's interesting and in Casey we know that Casey you know has said that he's still looking for the manual that says you have to play eight guys until someone shows me otherwise we got to be who we are I mean, hey, I, I like I like where his head's at. I, I hope he sticks to it. And, you know, as I've been saying, and I'll continue to preach this until the playoffs come, this is the no excuse playoff for Kyle Lowry. Right? Like there's no excuses. You're you're healthy, you've been well rested throughout the season. There's been a lot of fourth quarters off. Like, you know, there can't be any excuses here because the way that the bench is played, the way that Freddie Van Fleet has been playing, hey. We can't have none of that Lowry's hurt or we don't know if Lowry's hurt or right. maybe he's the not hurt. Or, isn't there. Yeah, like we can't have any of that. But I want to ask you, Webby, is this the Raptors' best chance to make it to the finals? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot. The Cavs are reeling. Boston's Absolutely. reeling. What do yeah. you think? 
No question about it. If it's going to be a year, it's going to be this year. I can't even picture the Raptors in the NBA Finals. Is that weird? No, no, it is weird. It is weird. Right? Like, I'm just like, what is going on? But I mean, it, it's all there. We don't know how Kevin Love's going to come back. Is is Kevin Love going to be healthy? Is he going to fit in right away? You know, LeBron is going to be with LeBron. We know that. Boston's injuries seem to be piling up as oh. more dudes keep going down. Next year might be their year. You know what I mean? When they get a healthy Gordon Hayward back. Yeah. And other than that, like the East is such a crapshoot. Like I, I don't know what can happen, right? I don't I don't like the fact that you might have to play the Bucks in the first round if you're the Toronto Raptors, right? Like the East playoffs, I think, are going to be so much fun. Oh, absolutely. No the, question the, about it. The last thing I wanted to say about this article, and again, go read it on ESPN, Zach Lowe on the Raptors, but the reason why I really thought this story was so good in compared to a lot of other things that we here in Canada get to read about the Raptors is I think they did a really good job of painting both sides. So he gave you all the good and all the changes that the Raptors have made and the successes behind it. But at the end of the story, he actually talked about what will happen come playoff time, right? And so we'll go through a lot of this because I feel like Raptors fans, when I think if we say it or if, you know, casual conversations you're having with your friends and people say negative things about the Raptors the, and, and you're not part of the Raptors group think you're just called a hater. Right. Yeah. So I'm going to give I'm going to give people what Zach Lowe says. OK, he says things will get harder and engage LeBron playing 44 minutes has ruled the East since 2010, 2011. If Cleveland falls into the 4-5 in the bracket, Toronto could meet them earlier than expected. Philly, Milwaukee, and Washington loom as dangerous underdogs with star power. Offenses will pick on DeRozan-Valanchunas combo in the pick and roll. Defenses will take an extra step away from Siakam, Wright, Ananobi, and even Ibaka clogging driving lanes and inviting Toronto's bad shooters to fire. They'll dare DeRozan too. He's still shooting just 32% from deep. The bench will face more opposing starters, and Casey will have to adjust early, not late. The two stars who have been wobbly in playoffs past have to maintain their normal shooting percentages. I mean, everything he said there is so true, and I'd even double down and say, DeMar has to up to 30 points. Kyle has to up to like 25 points to me in my mind if they're going to make the NBA Finals. But that's just me. What do you think, Webby? That very well may be true. <laughs> it's okay. scary. But if it's that's scary. if that's happening, then are they more likely to take the offense over rather than use the system that's made them this successful? I mean, it's such an enigma and it's I don't care what Dwayne Casey says. Regular season basketball and postseason NBA basketball are two completely different games. Mm-hmm. They're just different games. And he's better. He better have something, you know, like, like, like Zach Lowe says. If there's something that needs to be done, it's got to be done early, for sure. And the other thing too, right? And I know everyone thinks that it's just such a throwaway to say, well, oh, you know, people get defensive. They're like, oh, I know it's LeBron, but, but here's the thing, right? We've seen shots of LeBron lately. His Instagram stories. We've seen him. At home, he's playing uh, video games and he's playing with the new Cavs against the Raptors. We've seen him when he, their recent road trip when they're in LA and LeBron's in, I want to say, the back of the Maybach and he's got the game up and he's watching the Raptors Rockets game on his phone. Like he's showing us this stuff, right? And I will want, I just want to remind people of what happened in the first time that the Cavs played the Warriors in that NBA Finals, okay? If you remember, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love went down with injuries. Right. And it was basically LeBron and Della Vadova. JR, uh, Tristan. Shumpert, Tristan, like basically me and you left, right? <laughs> and you're going against the Golden State Warriors. And what LeBron did, remember, they won two games in that series that no one thought they had any business of even, right. you know, coming close. And LeBron won two games in that series. That series went to six games. And if you remember, LeBron's numbers were disgusting, and all he did against a fast-paced, high-powered offense of Golden State was he literally walked the ball up the floor every single time to slow down the game and make every possession so valuable, and he had to create every single bucket for his team. So it's just to show you that the, the playoffs can change 
so quickly. Just how the, the style of play works, it can change so easily. We've seen it happen before. It'll probably happen again. And I'm just looking forward to all of it because it's going to be so lit. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be a beautiful thing to see after the tournament's done. <laughs> after the tournament's done, yes. Well played, Webby. Well played. Well, from our wrap it up segment, you know, we'll, we'll head to a little turn up, turn down, but still with a little Raptors flavor. So for their, those unfamiliar with how we do things here on the Ball on Blast podcast, in our turn up, turn down segment, we make a hot take and you're either going to turn up or turn down on said take. So starting off, DeMar DeRozan is top five in the MVP voting right now. Webby, are you turning up or turning down on this? Okay, so Harden, LeBron... Jonas, <laughs> KD, uh, uh, and then uh, what do you put? Do you put Demar uh, over Steph? Uh, do you uh, put Demar uh, over Anthony Davis? Do you put Demar over Dave? I don't know, Webby. I'm asking no. you. Turn up, turn down. What are you saying? I mean, he is the right, the best player <laughs> on the best team. But then again, we just spent 30 minutes talking about how the success of the Raptors is based on everybody and not just one player. Meanwhile, the success of the New Orleans Pelicans, who are right now in playoff contention pretty solidly in the West, is based off one guy. So now now we get into this. It seems like we get into the the, um, definition of MVP every season in every Mm -hmm. friggin' sport. Is it the (laughs) most valuable player on your team, or is it just the best player in the league? Listen, DeMar's been awesome. He's having a career year. He's the best Raptor to ever play, but I don't know if he's going to make top five MVP, which is weird to say. So you are turning down, it sounds turning like. Turning down. Turning down. Okay. I'll admit, I've gone back and forth on this a lot, and I'm actually going to turn up on this and say that DeMar is in the top five, but just at five. So I'm going to go with Harden, then LeBron, then Giannis, then KD, and then I'm going to go with uh, DeMar at five. And the only reason I'm edging DeMar over Anthony Davis and Dame Lillard is because and Steph? While I th- Steph is hurt again. And so yeah, here's the thing. Yeah, so that's a good point. Steph's hurt again, right? So that's twice he's gone down with injuries where he's, he's missing at least a week or two during the season. And, you know, as much fun as they had at his birthday party, he might be coming back soon and maybe they're being a little extra delicate with them. Do you know what I mean? I gotta I'm gonna go with KD instead of Steph, and I'm gonna put DeMar ahead of ahead of ahead Steph of, in this instance. And ahead but, of Anthony Davis. So the reason I'm putting I'm putting DeMar ahead of Anthony Davis and Dame Lillard is because I think both of them are having extraordinary seasons, right? But with the way that the Western Conference is so tight. I think, again, we talked about Anthony Davis, I think, a couple weeks ago, right, when their winning streak first started. I think the the Pelicans were on, like, an eight-game winning streak, I think it was at the time. Right. And now uh, the Blazers are on a 10-game winning streak with big wins. I think they beat Golden State twice. But with those two win streaks, they vaulted themselves just within the past week, week and a half, into the, the thick of the Western Conference. But for the majority of the season, right, like – they were kind of hovering around that like eighth spot, ninth spot, where you, no, no matter what you're doing, you're not really going to get MVP talk at that point. So I think that's more of a recency bias in terms of those guys getting into the MVP buzz. And I'm not willing to put them over DeMar, who has a full season's worth of work that he's been putting in for the best team in the Eastern Conference. Right, right. That's that, just I mean, me. I think that record in the East really – is the best uh, uh, the best case for DeMar DeRozan. Is that, I mean, the Raptors are easily, I mean, head and shoulders, the best team in the Eastern Conference, and he's the best player on the best team in the East. Yeah, oh, for sure. And I think that there are people that are going to say, well, wait a second. Well, if you're going to put DeMar at five, why are Giannis and LeBron going to be behind them, right? Which, Which, I mean, hey. Maybe that's a question you might want to ask. And that's what I'll tell you to get your Googles up and take a look at the fact that LeBron James is averaging 27 points, nine assists, and eight and a half rebounds yeah, for no. this season. And, and he's also he's also thirty he's also thirty-three <laughs> years old and he's been playing for eighteen years. 
right? And then when you go to your man Giannis, he's putting up 27, 10, and 5 and shooting 51% from the floor. Like, those numbers are just stupid when you look at that, right? So you, you're talking about a playoff team just putting up ridiculous numbers that I can't, you can't look past those numbers. Those numbers are, are just too fire for me to put DeMar over those guys. Right. That's where my ranking goes in. I'll settle in at DeMar right at the five. So you'll turn down on this, and I'm barely turning up. Yeah. But I'm uh, still turning up on DeMar for MVP in the top five. 15 years for LeBron. My bad. I think I said 18. But, yeah, hey, no, you're absolutely okay. right there with the Giannis and the LeBron. Uh, and even the KD above above um, of DeRozan. I just think KD's defense has been, like, I think he has the – well, he had He's, a chance to win Defensive Player of the Year. Yeah, he was up there in blocks for a while. Like yeah. I think he might even still be top, He's top three five. in blocks. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Which is something you wouldn't really associate with Kevin Durant if you if you know, right? If you go back to a few seasons, right? You wouldn't really associate blocks with Kevin Durant's game, but he's extended it so much with, you know, I guess the freedom that he has in Golden State with so much depth there, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, but moving on in our turn up, turn down segment, and I will say this topic holds a soft spot for me, you know, <laughs> because I feel bad for the Spurs. And I, I, I got to say this as a Raptor fan that listens to too many other Raptor fans that complain about nobody talking about their team. Well, the Spurs have been damn good for the past 20 years, and they never get enough credit, right? So we're here in this situation with our next turn up, turn down topic, which is the Spurs will miss the playoffs for the first time in two decades. So, Webby, are you turning up or turning down? What's crazy was when you sent this to me, I was like, what? And then <laughs> I, I was like, wait, I thought they were like fourth or fifth in the East. And I was like, then I had to look at the standings. I was like, oh, my God. But here's right? the thing, just looking at the standings. Bro, there are – we said this last week too. There are like seven teams within – three games of each other in the West. <laughs> it it's is. wild. It's so, so listen, I, you know, while this isn't, you know, the Spurs team that we've been used to the last four years since Kawhi Leonard came in the league because he's been injured, listen, this is still the Spurs. This is still one of the teams with, uh, like we said, top-down organizational uh, solidarity. Uh, mm -hmm. This is a team that has a, a solid identity. This is a team that's built for success over a long period of time. Kawhi Leonard is coming back. They've got the coaching. They have the system in place. I think that the Spurs will not miss the playoffs. Do you know what? I, I'm turning down on this too because I think the Spurs will not miss the playoffs. I think they're going to make it. And you know what? It's crazy when you look at some of the stats because I think i got to say these things because, again, they don't get enough credit for what they've been able to pull off because – you know, it's not like the the Hawks. I'm pretty sure this year will be the first time they haven't made the playoffs in like eight years or something like that. Like it's been a while. Right. But the Hawks don't do anything in the playoffs. The Spurs have won championships, yeah. right? Like the Spurs have made conference finals. Like they are a legit, legit, legit organization. And so right now they're having their worst season since '96, '97 when they basically tanked to get Tim Duncan. Right? They shut down David Robinson for the year. Right. But that was all the way back in '96, '97. Okay. They're currently ninth or tied for ninth or eighth, I think it is, but only three and a half games, as you just mentioned, Webby, separates the third seed from the ninth seed in the Western Conference. So that's just crazy. But here are some issues going on with the Spurs. They're playing at the second slowest pace in the league. They're shooting way more mid-range shots than, than all but three other teams in the NBA. And now Kawhi is supposed to come back, but will Kawhi be healthy enough? I'm banking on yes, because I don't think that the way that Pop rolls, he's not just going to throw Kawhi out there just because. No. I don't think that's how Pop rolls, right? And so you figure Kawhi's healthy, and anytime you're going to add a top, what, five, top ten player to a team that's already, it's like you, you just made a big deadline acquisition, right? So I'm looking at that, and I'm saying the Spurs will make the playoffs. I know they got a tough sked coming up. As we said last week, in Pop I trust. Exactly. I'll never bet against Popovich. I agree. I think that Kawhi is good enough, even 90%, 80% to yeah. get them over that threshold. Yeah, a 90% Kawhi is better than whoever the filler guy is that's from the Spurs D-League team Kyle that Anderson. they have. 
right? But like it, it changes all the time, right? We talked about it. Sometimes yeah. Kyle Anderson's playing. Then if he plays bad for a couple games, then it'll be some other dude that I've never heard of before, right? And it's just amazing what they've been able to do with Pau Gasol, with a resurgence, the resurgence of uh, Lamarcus Aldridge, who's just like beast mode and. Sometimes, you know, while the rest of the league is going to threes, the Spurs are saying, well, hey, we have Pau Gasol, we have Rudy Gay, we have LaMarcus Aldridge, we're going to shoot twos and we're going to just do it better than other teams are doing because other teams don't have big guys that post up. So we're just going to pound the ball to LaMarcus and do that until Kawhi comes back. And it's so genius. It's so G. It's what Pop Pop does. It's great. I'm here for the Spurs. Go, Go Spurs. Go Spurs, go. <laughs> well, moving on in our turn up, turn down segment. You know, a full week can't pass without us talking about the Cleveland Cavaliers, right? So, keeping up with the Cavs this week for our turn up, turn down topic. J.R. Smith has been sent to the bench, okay? And uh, Ty Lu said before the game against his sons that Kyle Corver will replace J.R. in the starting lineup and Ronnie Hood is out. But whenever Ronnie Hood's back is well enough to play, he will replace Corver with the starters, and J.R. Smith will remain coming off the bench. J.R.'s response to all this, he says, quote, We didn't talk. Lou sent me a text, and I told him, no problem. I didn't know what it was, a talk. I'm not, a, I'm not upset about it. I just wish there would have been more dialogue, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> J.R. Smith, so, Smith, a big fan of Quentin Tarantino movies. You know, he really enjoys the dialogue. You know, he's not much for action set pieces. He's he's, he's a big really, Sorkin guy. Yeah, Is that what Sorkin you're telling me? guy. Absolutely. There you go. He's a walker <laughs> and a talker. <laughs> so J.R. Smith's benching is the right move, Webby. Turning up or turning down? Sure. Why not? I mean, at this point with the Cavs, you got to try and do everything that you can to find out what works before the playoffs. And if that means benching JR for a couple of games, even for an extended stretch, and that makes your starting unit better, and you catch a little bit of lightning in a bottle, absolutely. Uh, you got to do anything you can at this point if you're Ty Lu to see if you can get something that clicks. I'm turning up on this. Definitely. And the, the fact that JR, I mean, he's just scoring eight points a game, he's shooting below 40%. There's games where he's just, you know, Invisible. Almost giving the Sam Mitchell specials, you know, the zero, zero, <laughs> zero, zero. And you can't do that, right? You can't do that and be a starter on a team with finals aspirations. So, you know, they have Rodney Hood. We talked about this possibly being a move. When they when they got made these tr- deadline deals, we talked about it. The fact that, you know, I could see Larry Nance and Rodney Hood getting a lot of minutes oh, in yeah. that starting lineup going forward. And so hopefully if everyone gets healthy for the Cavs, you know, maybe this will light a little spark under Jr. And you know, we'll, we'll see the Jr. of old celebrating as he he drains threes again. Right. <laughs> well, the other thing too is that you don't want to hear is that Rodney Hood already like that back is flaring up on him already. Yeah. Right. And so, like, getting that taken care of before the playoffs too is going to be a huge thing. They got to make sure that they got to make sure that every piece that they got from the from those trades that they made at the deadline is healthy and ready to contribute for the postseason. Yeah, so moving on from the Cavs, I think we're both turning up on the fact that this is a good idea for the Cavs who, you know, have struggled as of late and LeBron is just basically doing LeBron things and continuing to carry them until hopefully they get healthy and the rest of the guys figure it out. But again, I'm I'm to be honest, I'm still not worried about the Cavs. I think, you know, the pieces that they have in place LeBron's going to figure out what he has to do and how beast mode he has to go night after night. And I think these guys will figure it out. They figured out that Jr. they're getting nothing out of him. So they'll, they'll figure out how to get more out of Rodney hood when he gets back in the lineup. Right. Larry Nance, as we predicted here would be a good, a good pickup for them. And he'll, he'll be a, a key cog for them going forward. But yeah, I mean, Lots going on in the Cavs world, as always, and especially as we switch from turn up, turn down to our Feed Me segment, which is the best things to come across our social media feeds in the world of the NBA. And so a lot of birthday parties going on, oh, right? Tristan man. Thompson celebrated his birthday. It's Steph Curry's birthday party. It's like, <laughs> did you catch any of this it, stuff? Yeah, I did. It's like uh, grade schoolers here with their birthday parties. It's like my super <laughs> sweet 16. 
Oh, yeah. And, like, there's so many in this era of 2018, you have people that will go around and compile all of the Snapchats and Instagram stories and put them all in the one nice package in one YouTube video. <laughs> right. Right? So <laughs> it's very crazy how these things happen, right? But, hey, here we are. And from some of these stories, I, I mean, I sat down and I watched it because, you know, I do my research for this podcast, of right, course. Webby? You know, do research, strict research only, you know? And uh, essentially, Steph's wife, Aisha, put together a surprise party for him. Steph showed up on a yacht. E-40 was there to perform. Some other groups, I don't even know who they are, but I, I feel like that's probably just because I'm old. Yeah, I don't yeah, even yeah. think there were rap groups. I don't know what they were, though. But uh, anyways, like Christian rock groups. <laughs> I mean, I will say it kind of looked exactly how I would envision a steph curry birthday party looking if that makes sense Corny. he's doing like the electric slide with his two <laughs> daughters draymond and kd were dancing with steph's grandma like there was a lot of like steph karaoke he was singing like new edition and rick james like what was your favorite part did you catch any of the videos oh the the ribs i guess was my favorite and the and the boat that's an that's an incredible yacht that he has Oh, yeah, so good and, and so much going on. And the, the funny part, I guess, was the fact that the Warriors canceled practice the next day. Right, right. I think that was a planned uh, a planned uh, absence from practice even before that party started. I think that they knew how lit they were going to get. Oh, for sure. And, I mean, once you see – I think that was Mike Brown. I couldn't tell, but yeah. it looked kind of like Mike Brown and Steve Kerr. It was definitely Steve Kerr. Yeah, was yeah, getting down not, and <laughs> – there's no denying that Steve Kerr was getting down and dancing. How'd I expect Steve Steve Kerr to get down and dance? <laughs> Clay Thompson, I don't know what he was doing, but he was break dancing at one point. He like fell down at one point, and now all of a sudden Clay's out for two weeks. Yeah, I was gonna say, is that how he busted <laughs> his thumb? I don't know. That's I don't, all I, don't I could think, think so. of when I saw that headline today. I was like, oh my god, that party must have been a little more wild than we thought. Oh, that party looked so lit. It's so funny. And the Warriors, you know, there's like a lot of, and hey, I joke around with a lot of dumb hot takes, but there are actually people saying that the Warriors aren't taking the regular season seriously enough. Like, get out of here, right? This like, that's just dumb. the team that broke the all-time wins record like two years ago. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I'm not mad at the Warriors for this. They're just having a good time, and they're fun enough to – you know, have this recorded. Like they know this is going to end up on social media. They weren't doing anything. Like Steph was again. He's singing karaoke, right? They're singing like Rick James songs. Like who cares? Like it's not a big deal at all. They're just having fun. Would I hope that my thirtieth birthday party was a little more lit than that? Of course. Yeah. But absolutely. hey, I'm not married with like three kids or however many kids Steph has. So Good more power to you, you, Steph. Good point. More by power you, to Shelley. you. I got a quick uh, feed me uh, item for you. Just wondering if you saw this, okay? I just okay. saw this a little while ago. Uh, in Toronto on the TTC, <laughs> their version of the Come to Toronto LeBron bid. <laughs> have you seen, Is there, have you seen I this saw in it. real life? Or so here's only... the thing. I saw this in real life yesterday. And the funny thing was I saw it in the morning and I did a double take because I was like, Wait, this that looked like it said <laughs> hashtag like twenty three to Toronto or to the six or something like that. But like it went by so quickly that I was like, nah, I didn't say that. And, and you then don't on my wait way home, the three minutes for it to cycle back around. Well, the train came right, and then oh, I got on the train. Yeah. So then on my way home, the exact same thing happened, and I was like, wait a second, what was that? But I thought that I would see it somewhere else, like on the news or whatever, if that's what it was, in fact. You know what I mean? And then it wasn't until, I think, Faisal tweeted it out, maybe. Someone tweeted it out. And I was like, oh, shit, it was that. Like, it, this, like, but I, do, I still have no info on it. Did you find any information on this? I just saw the picture. I just saw ah, it. Ah, same. I, I saw it, and the guy was like, uh, you know, other cities do, uh, other cities do billboards, but if, uh, if LeBron's ever stuck waiting for the Bloor line to come along, maybe he'll uh, maybe he'll have a change of heart and come to Toronto. As you said, billboards are being put up in other cities, and there's like a little ad placed on the TTC. <laughs> <laughs> like, what the hell? Right? I just seen this article from the Toronto Sun, and I'm trying to see if they have any info on it. 
and they said it's unknown who de- who designed the ad, paid for the ad space, how long it is scheduled to run, or why someone tucked away on the underground on a small screen. But somebody likely with a wealthy Raptors fan is clearly trying to capitalize on courting the mania triggered last month by the Philadelphia businessman. So basically, this had no information either. No. So, yeah. so nobody <laughs> still knows who did it. I love it. Thank you, Toronto Sun. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's going on there. But if you do know on blast or ball on blast listeners, let us know for sure. Cause I'd like to know what's going on here. You know, yeah, maybe we can break some news here on the ball on blast podcast. We'll find out. We'll find out. And, uh, you know, one last thing to discuss here on the ball on blast podcast, as always, we end with our ask on blast segment which is a question just about anything. But as the sounds of March Madness loom, we know Ooh. the questions can only be for one thing, Webby. March Madness, who you got and what are you looking forward to the most? Oh, well, listen, I this is coming from somebody who is guaranteed to get a little dusty when you hear uh, one shining moment at the end of the tournament. This is... I love it. It's my favorite, favorite time of year. I'm so jacked up. I'm so sad, though, Shelly. It's bittersweet for me because after spending 10 years in the sports media landscape, this is Mm -hmm. my first year not working the tournament since 2006. Ooh. Right? So, like, there's no – like, if I want to watch these afternoon games, I got to play hooky from work that I'm doing now. So I'm a little bummed about that, but it's not going to slow me down because – I'm still going to get to watch all the games at night. I've got my brackets going. I'm so ready. I'm so fired up. I'm even watching the tournament right now. I'm watching a play-in game. I'm watching <laughs> Arizona State and Syracuse. So, okay. so amazing. I'll, first, I'll give you my quick final four, okay? We've okay. got I got North Carolina in. I got Duke in. I've got Arizona in. And I've got Villanova in. And it's not going to okay. shock you that I got Villanova winning. <laughs> no, it doesn't shock me at all. You and Kyle Lowry, I'm pretty sure your your brackets probably look the same. I would I would hope so. Now, okay, <laughs> I'll also here I'll give you my quick up first round upset pick, okay? okay Obviously okay. the twelves over fives, that's a given. We got Davidson mm-hmm. in there this year playing Kentucky. I like Davidson beating Kentucky, by the way. Okay, but Ooh. my other one here is a six eleven okay. upset. University of Miami is playing a team called Loyola Chicago. Okay. All right. Now, this is a Catholic school. Yeah. Loyola yeah. Chicago. Okay. They've got this sister, this nun, who's been a super fan, who's been <laughs> going to their games for 50 years. They call her Sister <laughs> Jean. Okay. Now, okay, si- yeah. Sister Jean comes to all the games, uh, it, rocking the colors. She's mm-hmm. even got Nikes. That say Ooh. Sister Jean on them. Hold on. Who paid for these shoes, though? Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. Now, I'm joking. I'm Sister Jean is 98 years old. Okay. Sister Jean fell and broke her hip about nine weeks ago. What? She's, okay. She's missed, like, the last 10 or so games that Loyola Chicago's played. Okay. Sister Jean is in a wheelchair, and Sister yeah. Jean's going to the game against Miami. Woo! Okay, All good right. luck charm is back. Okay. okay, I like Loyola to beat Miami. I was saying, I, like I was saying this, I was saying this at work today. By the end of the weekend, everybody, yeah. every basketball fan will know who Sister Jean is. <laughs> that's amazing. I love it, and that's why I love March Madness. I mean, I had such a long day today, Webby. We woke up, recorded our uh, challenge podcast. The uh, you killed it podcast. So woke up early, watched that episode, taped that podcast, went to work, worked on a, a feature on uh, the culture clash in hockey and Evander Kane making his return to Canada now that he's on the Sharks. You know, like whatever, long ass day there. <laughs> I didn't even know and now Evander we're doing Kane this. Was on the Sharks. <laughs> right? Hockey. Why? Right? Hockey. Whatever. Right? So now we're doing this podcast and. I'm like, oh, no, March Madness is tomorrow. I got to do my bracket. And stories like what you just said is what makes March Madness so amazing. Because I can pretend and say, oh, I'm going to like study and I'm going to read this and I'm going to listen to this and do all these other things. But I'd rather just 
go for teams like that with great <laughs> stories like that. That's right? it. <laughs> so good. So good. Or, I or love when it. you realize that it. Rick Barnes is now coaching Tennessee. I found Hold that on. out. That's a, I didn't know that. I found Ricky that out Barnes. last week. Yes. I was like, Rick Barnes is, is coaching Tennessee. Guess who I'm not taking. <laughs> So good. Remind me after we get off the air, I got a Ricky Barnes story for you, which I just can't tell on the air. But anyways, um, so good. March Madness, best time of the year right now as we got we're 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 on the the heels or sorry, we're not on the heels. We're inching towards is the the cliche I was looking for in this instance. (laughs) We're inching towards the playoffs and basketball and the Leafs because I'm not even going to say hockey because I just care about the Leafs. (laughs) We're inching towards the playoffs. Baseball's about to start. March Madness is Ooh, here. A tradition great, unlike any great. other. The Masters is around the corner as well. Hey, Tiger's back. So, no, hey, Tiger's maybe you might back, catch me in bro. on that too. Right? What a time to be alive to oh, be a sports fan, right? Fantastic. <laughs> and what a time to be a Ball on Blast fan as well. You know, and if you want to hit us up and talk about, tell us where we're right, tell us where we're wrong about anything we just said, or give us some topics for next week's Ask on Blast. Let us know. You can hit me up on Twitter at Shell Alexander or on Instagram at Sheldon Alexander. Webby, where can they find you? Find me on Twitter, tweeting about the tourney, tweeting about um, all the movies that I've seen. Uh, You can (laughs) catch me at AWebster84. And as always, we are here. Normally, you'll catch this podcast normally Friday mornings, I'd say, but a little switch up this this week. We did this on... Wednesday night, so you'll probably hear it Thursday, but you know, basically we got you covered. We got you covered each and every week here on the Ball on Blast podcast. As always, unpolished and unapologetic. Until next week, see ya. Peace.